Good morning, everybody. I'm Debbie Montgomery Johnson, the founder of the nonprofit The Woman Behind the Smile, and your host of Stand Up and Speak Up, a show that is about each and every one of us. Many of us have something, something we're hiding, something we're ashamed of, something that through no fault of our own or through our own making keeps us hidden, and that in turn keeps us hidden from each other and the world. Good people go through terrible situations. Wise people know when and how to let it go. Everything that happens to us helps us grow, and while it may be hard to see it right away, the most important thing to do is to change your perception about your circumstances. Stand Up and Speak Up features ordinary people who've been through extraordinary struggles and found the courage to step out from behind their smiles and speak up about their experiences and the lessons gleaned from those experiences. I'd like to welcome each and every one of you today, and I'm going to welcome my guest, Miss Deborah L. Morrison. She's coming to us from up north. Anything, I think, north of West Palm Beach is up north for me. And I'd like to welcome Miss Deborah. Are you there? I'm here, Debbie. Thanks so much for having me on your show. It's wonderful. Well, I'm so excited you're here. And where, where actually are you calling in from? I'm calling from North New Jersey. North New Jersey. And I've got to let everybody know, Deborah and I were talking earlier, um, I've been trying to get a hold of her all week, and there's been like crickets, silence. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I hope she's okay. Well, it turns out the hurricane that blew past us in Florida went up to North Carolina and up into Jersey and, and took your power away for a few days. Isn't that right? Well, you know, Debbie, it took our electricity away, and I've been one to very, very much distinguish between our power and our electricity because we always have our power. <laughs> That's true. I've heard you say that. It took out our electricity. You took out the electricity and your Internet and all those things that we've come to rely on in our uh, isolation period. Exactly. It was a comeuppance for sure, a technologically induced or storm-induced uh, technological uh, upcomings. Well, I think it's time sometimes that we just need to take a pause from technology. And uh, But I, I was a little bit worried because I was like, I really want to talk to her this week. So thank you. I'm, <laughs> glad, you I'm glad you got your electricity back and that you, you brought your power with you. Thank so, you, sweetheart. Yep. We're going to start today. I'd like to introduce uh, Deborah L. Morrison to my audience. Many of you know her. Many of you do not. I have met. I met her through Women's Prosperity Network. Our great group of sisters down here, well, I was going to say down here in South Florida, but they're all over the place. We've got one gal on from Fort Worth, Texas, and and then uh, she's up here in New Jersey. So we go, we span the globe. But Deborah is an international motivational speaker, an Amazon best-selling author, a certified grief coach. She's her background is in finances as a certified financial planner, um, estate planner. She's helped hundreds of clients face and conquer their money fears and attain financial security. She uses humor and everyday analogies as well as her prowess in simplifying complex financial concepts. It is so, that is so true. I think the first time I saw Deborah speak at WPN, she just had me hollering. I, I mean, I think it might have been one of your first talks on stage down there, but you were just so cute and so funny, and you take a complex topic that we all shy away from, I think, or we're like we have the fear of it, fear of finances, and you make made it real and interesting and fun and personal. And I'm looking forward to today's conversation. I'm going to direct everybody to her bio on the show website. She's been on CNN, ABC, 
MSG's Metro Money, on CNN FN, The Wall Street Journal, uh, USA Today, and all over the place. Ladies Home Journal. Um, and the fun thing about Deborah is her passions include world travel, scuba diving, golf. I like to play golf too. You have to come back down to Florida. Skiing, right boating, and photography. We are going to go from finances to fun throughout this one-hour adventure. So, Miss Deborah, thank you so much for being here. And can you just tell people a little bit? You know, what is your passion, and why are you why are you on with me today? Well, thanks, Debbie, and that was uh, a generous uh, intro. I appreciate that. And my passion has um, really been a fire uh, around the energy of money. And when I speak of that, it's sometimes a new um, analogy for people. And so I just want it to land with each of our listeners. The energy of money has a whole lot to do with the trajectory of my professional life. And I credit my aunt. Uh, we were raised on a farm, very humble 100-acre beef farm in western Pennsylvania. And um, Every couple years, we would venture out on the train. Dad worked for the railroad and got, visited my aunt, who lived in North New Jersey, and she took us into New York City. You can imagine. <laughs> I mean, I was slack-jawed. My, I, my eyes were big as saucers. And she took us to the New York Stock Exchange. I couldn't have been six or seven years old, and I was dressed to the nines, and we walked along behind that plexiglass and looked down on that New York Stock Exchange, and that in the day, they had paper tickets and guys, almost all white men, young white men, running around shouting palpable energy and tearing up tickets and throwing them in the air and racing around with clipboards, and I was mesmerized. I had really very little idea what it was what what was happening, and yet I said to myself, I think my aunt had to peel me away to go and eat Chinese food or something, and I said to myself, I'm not going to run around and shout like that, but that because I never saw I never saw any girls down there, right? So, so that is something I am going to explore and find out about because that really enlivens me. Now, you can imagine, I, uh, graduating from college, went to companies asking them for an opportunity to learn investments because my grandfather was a stock market investor. And he handed me certificates. Some of you have heard my TED Talk. With trembling, his hands were trembling. Paper, stock certificates. And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, my grandfather's not an emotional person at all. Look at his fingers trembling. There's something to that paper. And so then I started making connection after connection after connection that this thing called money, this vehicle, this tool can be in our tool belts. Yes, as women, tool belts. And it can either propel us or ground us. And by grounding, I mean in the negative sense, it can stop us if, in fact, we don't know how to unleash it. And so it's with that kind of upbringing and those few experiences patched together that I became very passionate about particularly speaking to women about their money because my grandmother had a little apron and she would carry nickels in there. And she was married to my grandfather who invested in the stock market, but he never gave her money. And it was really sad the way she would just save and save and save until we went over and as kids she would hand us a nickel and we would go next door and buy a nickel ice cream cone. Yes, that's how old I am, nickel <laughs> ice cream cone. So 
I saw right early on, holy camoly, my grandmother never had you know, like anything good. I mean, I don't think she had a new piece of clothes and, you know, she didn't get her hair done so much. And, and she saved and saved and saved. And then it became evident to me that a lot of women had had negative experiences with investing or just completely not experiencing investing because when they married, as most women did, especially in the day, uh, someone either phys- figuratively or literally tapped their little forehead and said, don't worry about that, Rose. You know, Bob will handle it, you know. And I had many a Bob and Rose in my office. And when Rose went to the bathroom at the end of the appointment in the hallway, Bob would be in the hallway with me and say, I don't know anything more than Rose knew, but when we married, it was my job, and I am so glad to be in the hands of a professional now. So when we, when we understand and through practice of advising people about their money, I have gleaned so much about the behavioral aspects of money that often supersede the science, if you will. And so I think some of the women, because we haven't, we, STEM wasn't even available. We weren't steered towards science and math. And there was also a societal and a biblical, in some cases, in my case for sure, religious uh, kind of um, bias against women getting involved in this energy called money. And thus, we've been outside that circle, and now some of us playing catch-up, and that gave me a real direction to deal principally with women. And now, what I'm doing is uh, coaching um, women about their finances so that we can get plugged in, yeah, whether the electric company is working or not, we can regain and retouch inside our personal power because as Oprah says and many other wise uh, mystics before her the power is within the power is within well you know it's really interesting as you're talking about your grandmother I'm having this flashback because my grandma you know we're about the same age my grandmother uh, was in New York and we'd go into the city Uh, I didn't go to Wall Street I used to go to uh, Lord and Taylor's we'd go to the birdcage Um, But I remember my grandmother always saying, and this went through my mother and then through me and to my kids, money doesn't grow on trees. However, my grandfather had a loan company. He loaned a lot of money to a lot of people. And they did fairly, they did very well, but you'd never know it. You know, you never saw it. And when my grandmother passed away, my mother had to go through every single thing my grandmother owned because she would leave pennies or dollar bills or $20 bills in her house coats, in her pants. I mean, she would hide it. It was always hidden. But the one thing Grandma did do is she invested in Baldwin Piano. And she, I remember when I was little, she said, when the stock goes up to a certain dollar amount, you'll get a piano. And wouldn't you know... 50 years later, my baby grand Baldwin piano is sitting right beside me in my office. Oh, and that's the only stock thing I remember my grandmother telling me. It's funny that this even came up. But she was so quiet about money. You know, and, and my grandpa too, I guess, but because it was his business. But my grandma was meticulous in her accounting down to the uh-huh. penny. Oh. I'd sit in her basement. She'd be doing it by hand. There's no computers back then. <laughs> down to the penny and so I think that I that I grew up with that too in banking that I would bounce my checkbook to the penny um, so how I could go on later on in life and you know give away a million dollars I have no idea based on that background um, but I think we fear 
the having money, losing money, what do we do with money, and like you said, pass it off to your, the man in the house who may or may not really want to take care of the money. I mean, in my house, I've remarried. My husband right now, he doesn't have the background that I do now with finances, and he'll listen to me. He's, he's a little more reserved about what we do, but as I learn more and learn more and talk to him about it two or three times, then he'll feel comfortable. So we are taking the reins now, and that's what. What do you do with your women's group? How do how do they come into that group, and where are they when they start, and where do you try to get them to? Well, the women um, whom have joined my uh, Facebook, uh, we we have a forum on Facebook, and you know just go and join up. Uh, women navigating finances, and it's a Facebook page, and it's also website.com. And women are coming from every walk of life at every stage, widowed, divorced, single, uh, married, and um, with various uh, particular questions, um, you know, precipitating questions and so forth. And some people are, um, well, we're starting with what I know as uh, a financial advisor. I've been financially advising uh, high net worth clients for 42 years and uh, before I just started this new company. And so women are coming from all different um, perspectives, and that makes it a tiny bit challenging to appeal and do uh, you know uh, educational kinds of things? Yet I do take an educational approach, and so I uh, beg for the people that uh, can can withstand the the basics, because without the basics we can't build you know a good strong house without a good foundation. So, attempting to lay the foundation, we're in the initial stages of it. Plenty of time to uh, to join us, and uh, basically the objective is to assist and give tools and strategies to women to get to their own goals, because it's not about me, wherever a person wants the money energy to take them so that it stokes their other energies, their philanthropic, their family, their pleasures, their hobbies, their travel lust, whatever it will do for them. Because money is a tool that buys things. It can buy widow's time, you know, I sold life insurance for 21 years because they wouldn't put any money into me as an investment advisor, right? They just said, go sell life insurance. They thought I'd be out the door in you know, three and a half days, which is a, it's probably an exaggeration, but very few people could sell life insurance. Well, I led the agency at age 21 for two years in a row. <laughs> and then I said, okay, gentlemen, I will learn investments now, right? And they said, yeah. And so... Um, begrudgingly. And so I did learn investments. I got my series seven, skipped right over the six. And, you know, I just went, I was around the base pads with investments. I loved it. And yet I always understood that there was more than meets the eye, right? So you can't just um, talk about investments without immediately recognizing that taxation is involved in our financial life, which is why I named my company Women Navigating Finances, because finances encompasses the gamut. And so to your point, Debbie, you're, you're, your um, family member had a had a loan business. It's how we manage our debt. Debt isn't bad. Debt is leverage. So if I can take some of the negative monikers that we have had drummed into ourselves, into our heads, either by family, faith, uh, news pundits, financial pundits, uh, which are some of the worst, the media. Um, to give us the financial advice, which is ridiculous, if I can just 
remove some of that stuff because we all have a certain bandwidth. I mean, I like to expand my bandwidth, and yet we all have a certain amount of bandwidth, and I want to remove anything that's not necessary, like a barnacle on a ship. Every year when people take their boats out and their ships and their yachts out, they, <coughs> they clean off the barnacles because they want to go faster, and they want to preserve the boat. So we need to preserve ourselves. And in preserving ourselves, sometimes we have to get rid of the sludge, because the sludge can delay us. I mean, you can go to a horse track or watch it on television, and a different horse will win if the track is muddy, because they're called mudders, see? And the best horse in the world has to be put through three different races in order to win the Triple Crown. And you can make an analogy to anything in life, but that just came out of my head. The Mm -hmm. point is we want to be nimble enough to be able to run in the mud, to be able to dance in the sunlight, etc., with our money around us within our being and outside of our being. I like to make an analogy to cargo pants. We put money in various pockets of cargo pants and I'll be doing videos with cargo pants on it and money hanging out of them. So stay tuned for that. So the issue is we want to know how to use this tool, much like a carpenter knows how to use a hammer and a saw on an electric screw gun. Well, it's really important to, I was talking with someone the other day about this same topic because typically when we hear something about a finances, a, it's some sort of financial program, it's coming from somebody that wants to sell that program to you. And it sounds good, it's that shiny object at the moment, but it may not be the best thing for you. So I love how you're, you're educating, you know, because that's what we need to do. We need to have these discussions, we need to hear about different financial vehicles that might be best for us. That cookie cutter, whatever, I mean, I, when I was in banking at the time, it was CDs were the hot things because the rates were really great. Now they're sure. nothing. Um, sure. So what is the, you know, we have to know what are the best platforms for us. And tax-wise, it's huge too. And I haven't exactly. conquered that part yet. Um, so that's something that's, that's really important. Because, and, and I love how you're talking about this because I think women might feel a little more comfortable talking to women sometimes because, right. you know, it's us. <laughs> it's a silly thing to say, but I just think that we're a little more comfortable sometimes thinking, well, if she can do it and talk about it, then maybe I can do it. Um, exactly, exactly. Although I will say there's an exception that I've experienced, and that is some widows, when they lose their husband, heterosexual widows lose their husband, uh, like I would go in as a young you know, whippersnapper, and they would really want to have a man because they just kind of wanted to continue that male energy. So that's, that's an exception. But here's... here's uh, a revelation that I'll throw out to your audience, Devin Ness. This is because uh, you have uh, the story you have, and we all have various aspects um, that probably, it, when light is shed on them, can lessen their grip on us. And that's the barnacle releasing exercise that I want to uh, parlay. And so I will say, as a storied uh, professional and, and, and nation, nationally, nationally excuse me, ranked and recognized and, and honored and so forth and so on, um, I, in fact, succumbed to investing in a Ponzi scheme. So this is, as you might imagine, a complete humiliation kind of thing for an investment professional such as myself. 
You, I mean, the words that rang through my being for months and probably two years after it happened were some of the most self-deprecating, downer kinds of loser, how could you do this, I cannot believe it, and you have, you know, you personally, I believe, Deb, have, uh, you know, experienced something, these kinds of self-flagellating uh, statements as is um, maybe our want as human beings, we have an expectation, I think, that education means perfection, that intelligence and being highly trained connotes you're not making a mistake. Well, Brene Brown writes a whole lot about falling down seven times and getting up eight and releasing, releasing, as some of us release weight from time to time, not losing it so we can find it again. No, no, dropping the shame. Dropping that which otherwise tethers us to the past. And so my understanding of the reasons why one looks back, having gone through this humiliating experience, is to understand and learn from mistakes in so much as we want to avoid making the same or similar mistakes again. And I can assure you, I learned that lesson. Now, I had invested in this investment with my IRA money. I had to do a separate self-directed IRA. It was, you know, uh, it was not the normal cookie cutter. I, you know, thought I was being real smart. And for four years, it paid out exactly as they said it was. And it wasn't some fly-by-night kind of, okay, you know, we'll, we'll launch a person to Saturn this afternoon. We were, the, the company was turning recyclables uh, into cash, like old rubber tires and old aluminum and stuff, and converting it in this factory, yes, into cash. It, comple- I, it, it was Deb, congruent with who I was. Oh, preserving, you know, life on the farm. You know, you don't throw anything out. You keep using it. You keep using it. So everything about this was, quote, unquote, right for me. Now, the good news is I didn't put any client's money in it. It was a foray on my own that I personally was interested in, and I knew the risk level was more than that which I was going to uh, subject my clients to. So I did my due diligence, or so I thought. I went and hauled myself down to Philadelphia and other other kinds of places with roomfuls of CPAs. I can sit here and and, and, uh, defend uh, my actions and relay my actions in terms of the, the groundwork that I laid because I am a planner, right? I think I exited the vaginal canal as a planner. <laughs> um, the fact is, I planned to do this. I did it. It worked. I continued to, to put more and more money in. I think I originally invested 20000 which you know, and felt like a lot to me. And it continued to work and it continued to work. And four years into this, I have put in one quarter of a million dollars. Now, even with the new math, that's two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Now, if you would invest two hundred and fifty thousand dollars of your after-tax money, non-IRA money, 
in what's called a bad investment from the tax law, you can tax deduct it. And Uncle Sam will bear your tax bracket in that loss. That's the benefit that, that the tax code gives us. If, in fact, you invest in the stock market, and this is just a little aside, uh, the government is going to give you some breaks because let's, let's get serious. The government doesn't want to support this entire you know, series of generations with extra Social Security or similar programs. So they're incenting you to invest in non-guaranteed vehicles like the stock market, and they're going to share in those losses as you incur the losses, and then when you make gains, they're going to take some of that gain, but it's a give and take with you and your tax return. So if you're in the 30% tax bracket, you know, you would have had the government, you know, assuming more than $65,000, $70,000 of that loss. But since it was in an IRA, it's not able to be tax deducted. That loss was completely dollar for dollar, two hundred. I think we got, I think I got back maybe $10,000. Mm-hmm. So complete, complete down the drain. Now, the other reason that um, – a call from the SEC. Now, you can imagine, I am regulated by the SEC. (laughs) And I get a call from the SEC, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, am I going to get subject to it? Is my practice going to be audited because they have, like, you know, round-robin audits? And and no, I just – I mean, I was in full-fledged depression for months wondered if I could even do financial advising. Remind you, I didn't have my client's money in it. It was me, yet I wondered, am I an imposter? Can I get through this imposter complex? Or finally it emerged, or did you just make a mistake? Did you just make, after all of your due diligence and trusting, were you misled and you capitulated unknowing unwittingly and I decided in order to live I needed to forgive myself absolutely and it's the forgiving ourselves first and then if we want to forgive and I do certainly espouse forgiving all the externalities I mean a Blinken said our, our happiness is an inside job you know it's not about the other person or the other entities it's about ourselves Even the Bible on which I was raised gives us various references to shaking the dust off of our feet. Jesus had examples where he told his disciples, if any place won't welcome you, leave that place. Shake the dust off your feet as a testimony. And so basically it's symbolic, this this releasing of this shame. This releasing of this barnacle that tethers us to a negative impact and a negative emotion. Wash our hands of it because we have, in essence, then done all we can in that situation. And as my grief coaching taught me, uh, let's, not, let's not waste any more time wishing for a better yesterday. I don't carry any further responsibility for that. I am basically responsible to surrender that experience, in my case, because I'm a woman of faith, to God and emotionally let God handle that. And God has handled that. And I now have the freedom to move on to the next phase, learning the lessons from it, including self-forgiveness. And now I think the other reason to look back is so that we can remind ourselves of how far we've come since these quote-unquote mistakes Define and cement our mission, 
because I'm all the more resolved now. You remind yourself, I lost 250000 This was This was probably a dozen years ago. I lost $250,000, but I didn't just lose $250,000. I lost all the money it could have made between then and now and into the future. So we want to cement our mission. Okay, we are going to, you know, uh, measure three times and cut once, and then to help others to be a witness that we're all human. And I am here to say as a financial professional, then and now and into the future, we will all have missteps financially. We will lose money. We will lose face. We will lose um, reputation in some cases. And much of that is able to be recast and recreated if in fact we can get ourselves free and shake the dust off of our feet so that we can nimbly walk forward yes maybe trembling in some fear yes yes but courage women courage is fear walking walking yeah that i'm i'm thinking as you're saying this when when i left the Dr. Oz show up in New York. I got a LinkedIn message from a financial planner in New York City. She confided in me that she had lost $600,000 to an online romance scam. She contacted me because she knew I would understand, but she, she was at a loss. She said, Deb, I can't tell anybody because I'm afraid that I'll lose my licenses. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, she didn't use any, any client money either, but here she was yeah. a financial advisor and all this stuff. So how did you deal with that? How did you deal with, did anybody else know? I mean, now you've, you've told the whole world, but prior to this, did, did people know what had happened and did it affect you professionally? Because I know very well-trained women, financial planners, you know, they're in the financial securities companies that have lost a lot of money and are mortified by what they did. And are just like that self-flagellation. They the forgiveness has not come yet, and they're having a hard time moving on. So, well, I I certainly can appreciate that. I mean, I I'm glad it happened then. In so much as right now, like you could like you know in the passing lane as you're driving, you could be googling you know SEC, and you know my maybe my name would come up under that. But I was very. Um, much uh, asking the the investor group um, to list me as an individual or something. I don't know. I, I was attempting to not have my name be you know plastered all over SEC documents. Uh, I think we were all in a class action, which really didn't go too far. So it, well, it, I'm certain that if someone you know Googled right now, they they could probably uncover it. And yet, because I didn't put any client monies in it. Uh, and I didn't have any complaints about it, you know, being a fee-only. See, I was fiduciary, fee-only yeah. planner. Uh, that's a different uh, level of reg- regulation than a broker. A broker just has to, you know, a broker basically has no um, ability, uh, no need by law and by profession to serve the client's interest first. Now, now I'll let that be a lesson to us. Yeah. So just, just a little aside, I mean, you were talking about, you, you mentioned most times we see, hear about products and somebody's selling it. Yeah, guess what? Wall Street is a big product manufacturing plant. Just think of it. It's manufacturing products. And it brought in a, a bunch of people called brokers and representatives and said, if you sell this product, we'll give you that commission. 
and or if you sell a lot of that product, we'll not only give you the commission, we'll level you up so that you'll get bonus percentage commissions. And moreover, here's first base tickets to the New York Yankees in the World <laughs> Series. Here's tickets for two plus an airfare for two down to the Masters. All kind of all expenses for two paid trips to Switzerland. Believe me, the incentives are high. I was in that business in the insurance side and the commission side for 20 19 years. I sold product 19 years. And I traveled to some very nice places in the world with a partner and myself and sometimes my mom, all expenses paid, wined and dined, really impressive. Now, I, Deborah Morrison, would never sell a product to anybody that one, I hadn't bought, and two, wasn't suitable for them. But I'm thinking that probably you could hold in a couple hands the people that had the integrity that I had. I'm not Jesus Christ in the flesh. I just do have integrity. And there's an awful lot of money to be made in the commission business. When I walked away in 1999 from commission, my renewals almost were six figures in 1999. Mm -hmm. So I then, it was the first time Fiona was even available. And when the second it became available, I said, that's for me. I don't ever want anybody's thought process, let alone a question to emerge. Hey, Deborah, what's in this for you? Mm -hmm. And so I completely became product uh, void. I don't sell, and nor have I since 1999, sell any product with a commission. I, if I referred someone to an agent to, to buy a life insurance policy, he or she can't kick back any commission. Fiduciary planners are, are the only type of planners who are by oath serving the client's needs first. Now, that's a newsflash to some of you. So, yeah. You want to ask your financial advisor, how are you paid? And if they are paid by commission, they are not held to a standard of serving the client's need first. It's just a, lo- it's just a fact. You can, you can text me later and I can go through this with you. So the point is if you ask your financial advisor how they're paid, it's going to tell you volumes. I'm not saying they're a charlatan. I mean, I've, I've bailed a lot of widows out of huge variable annuities from people in their church that they had gone to church with for 40 years. Okay, so I'm not telling you that these are bad people. I'm just telling you that often the commission is an incentive that's too large and too juicy for many people to sidestep. And when there's an opportunity, as there has been since 1999, to adhere to a fiduciary oath of serving each client's need first, then if you don't jump at that, then I have to question some of the motive. That's just, that's just the size of it. So anyway, that's just an aside, and we'll deal with that in the Women Navigating Finances Facebook uh, dialogue for sure, but I don't want to get sidetracked. I'm just saying there are distinctions. And so <clears throat> I named the company Women Navigating Finances because this is something, this area of finances is something that is fraught with little mines, little landmines, And if we're not careful and if we're not attentive and maybe educated to some of the potentialities of, I say, getting our financial car's tire stuck in a big pothole, then we're going to have a lot of delays, just like you'll have a delay going from destination A to destination B and you end up with a flat tire. You've got to call ahead and say, I'm not going to be there for a few hours because I've got to change my tire. Well, how about if that destination is your retirement and you fell ill or you got sued because you didn't and, and you now have your Social Security garnished and your house value is up for grabs as all of your securities – 
because the broker only sold you a bunch of products and never had the, the, the education even, let alone imagination, to ask about your liability, right? I always say one lawsuit can ruin your whole morning. <laughs> so, yeah. like, I mean, I've done some of the best work for people in ensuring they have adequate liability insurance, especially people that have teenagers driving cars. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the point is the navigating is not to be taken lightly. I don't care if you're climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, which I did last year, or if you're driving your financial car or boat through financial waters to get to whatever destination. There are likely difficulties that you know about and then a whole lot, a whole bevy, Deb, of difficulties that are unknown. Mm-hmm. unknown and precipitous and often highly emotionally charged. These are the things that come out of left field, early onset dementia. Your child is murdered. Your spouse dies prematurely. You just got a terminal illness diagnosis. You name it. These things are emotional. And when we are hit with emotional aspects of life, emotions and intellect are on opposite ends of a teeter-totter, we often abandon the intellect because we have to feel and deal with the emotion. And so I'm going to coach with women to say, we can emote, and I want us to emote, and we can be intellectual. We just almost need to put a different hat on when we're being each one because smushing them together basically, I think, causes too many of us women to think, to get overwhelmed and think, I can't do it. Well, wait a minute. You can. Let's just piece it, parse it out. Let's, let's cut it into small bits and let's address one at a time, much like your kids went through or kids that you know went through 12 grades, generally, unless they're bright, and maybe they did 10, of school. They build and they build and they build and they build. They didn't learn French at age six unless they were born in France. <laughs> And again, as I'm listening to this, there's so many things going through my mind as far as you know, emotional, emotionals and emotional highs, and then intellectual lows. And I remember when when, when my husband died. Uh, obviously, it was an emotional wreck. I mean, I, I thought I was prepared and yeah. was self-sufficient and all those things that we tell ourselves about. Um, but when I entered into that online relationship, the emotions just went sky high because you know I needed that validation. And in my mind, I'm thinking he's going to save me financially. He's going to, I'm going to be okay financially. You know, in the end, he's going to come home to me, and we're going to be fine. And then I willingly gave so much money away, which so many women that I deal with um, have gotten into that situation. And then we're like, you know, your emotions are taking over. I say my heart ruled my head. Well, yeah. that was certainly true. I wanted it to be true. Um, of course. And and we just lose track of what. You know, I gave away so much that I never in my, I say in my right mind, um, I thought it was in my right mind. I, I, in my trained mind, I never would have done what I did. Um, and so many of us, doesn't matter if it's an online relationship or, you know, a Ponzi scheme or whatever, we, we do what we never thought we ever would have done. And then we have to get over it. And that's the hard part. But I think as a group in discussing it, that, your, your widow's group is phenomenal and this navigating um, finance group is phenomenal because I think women, I know me, I, I enjoy hearing other people discuss these things and then I apply them to myself. I'm sitting here listening, taking copious notes because what you're saying is ringing true to my brain. <laughs> You know, yes. and it's good. And I hope that all the women that are going to be listening to this, especially the women in scars, 
will listen to this and say, okay, so we've made a mistake. Mm -hmm. What can we do to go forward now with hope and with knowledge and with a navigator, a chief navigator, uh, mm -hmm. to get through from now until we retire. And now tomorrow's not guaranteed, obviously. We could die tomorrow. Um, and I'm overinsured, so I always tell my kids that I'm probably worth more dead than alive right now, but I don't want them to, <laughs> to believe right. that. But that was a gut thing for me. After Lou died, and, and I don't know if you knew this story, but he had canceled his life insurance two months before he died. Cool. So I had no life insurance. I'd been paying it for 35 years and then had, had nothing there. Um, and so I've overinsured myself, yes. which is probably silly, but it's that safety mechanism because I'm thinking, oh, I've got to protect the kids. Well, they're in you know, 25 to 34 now. Maybe I don't need to protect them as much as I'm doing so. But that's the type of thing that I need to talk out. You know, right. Am I doing the right thing? Am I not? Should I use that extra $300 or $400 to put into something else? You know, mm -hmm. That's what we need to know about. So it is, Deb. And the issue is women have this hard wiring towards, you know, giving to others, right? Yeah. Uh, whether it's charities or kids or families or husbands or boyfriends or, wh or girlfriends, whatever it is, we just have this outward kind of uh, tra trajectory in our being. And, and I want to say, uh, if anybody, and I you know, do live speaking, and I'm actually known as the expect the unexpected speaker, Mm -hmm. which fits so well with my entire being, you know, because you, you know, you plan for what you know, and then the stuff comes out from, from left field, as I said, and you, you need to be nimble. So you best to have a plan from which to shift, see, instead of, you're, you know, you get, you get, you know, caught up in COVID and, and you never had a plan. So it's not about pivoting and shifting. It's about, oh my gosh, I have no plan. So the point is that really good to have a plan. I don't care what you're doing, have a plan. You can always amend it. It doesn't, throw you into the same sense of a uh, uh, hopeless abyss if you don't have a plan. See, that's the thing. I want to limit the downside. I want to limit the ca uh, cavernous uh, depths to which some of us fall when these unforeseen circumstances, uncontrollable acts of God, whatever, occur. I don't want us to go that deep because then we have to climb ourselves out uh, much, much deeper uh, caverns. So I want us to um, uh, not sink into those low places and that's kind of the protection that i was as a guide would look forward and say hey wait a minute you know don't do that over here at the y take that left and then immediately jut right because i've done it for hundreds of people i've been to retirement and back with hundreds of clients and thousands of people to whom i've spoken i believe you me it's best to have a guide and now let me just suggest I climbed Kilimanjaro last year, highest mountain in Africa, and I was completely focused for nine months training, but, 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 get six days up, sick as a dog, went up, rain, it was crazy. It was amazing. Got to the top, which not so many people do. Um, there's a certain percentage that do not. Got to the top, took a couple pictures, was completely slack-jawed at the beauty that I was seeing. I just was overcome by emotion how amazing this was. And then we're starting down, and there's a little, you know, pebbly lava stuff, and we started acting like we were skiing. Of course, we just had hiking boots on, and don't you know, I fell. Oh, I geez. fell on the descent. I climbed the whole mountain, never fell, and I took my eye off the goal. So if we're preparing for a goal, maybe retirement, and then on the descent, we don't have as clear or clearer, I might add, with my master's degree in retirement planning probably 20 years, 
that descent, Deb, is far more perilous. Anybody with a knee problem, you, you, you have problems with your knee going up the stairs? No, no, going down the stairs, see? Mm-hmm. But we don't tend to think about that. We don't tend to plan for that. Those are, quote, unquote, the unexpected. And so it's best to have a guide. And so I am, I'm, you know, implore our listening audience to have a guide and have a guide. I'm not going to be your certified financial planner. I've, I've retired from that business. I'm not managing money anymore. I'm not doing financial plans for clients anymore. But I have enough wisdom in that experience for 42 years to coach people. So I'll work with your financial planner. I'd much rather work with a fiduciary financial planner because then we're all on the same page. And we're going to tease out what it is you're aiming for because there's no sense in taking a, you know, um, taking a, a, a trip if we don't know where we're going. I mean, even we put our GPS in our phones, we know where we're going. And I don't know if so many women know where they're going because when this child asks for a loan, they say, okay, honey. And when that child asks for a loan, they say, okay, honey. And guess what? That is basically going to come into the same kind of probable return for that kid as your man asking you for more money. He's done it. You've already given. This is why charities bug the crap out of you once you start giving to them. And I love charities. I give a lot. But the, the, it's the course of least resistance. So that kid or kids that continue to ask you for money and you continue to give it without even a loan agreement, they're going to keep coming back at some point. Here's what we need to know, women. We've got to turn the mirror on ourselves because if you think your kid, and maybe you've got a kid like this, email me if you do. If you think your kid is going to pay your bills from age 70 to 90 or 100, age 100, and our longevity charts are showing us that you've got a lot of chance of being here at 100. If you think your kid is going to subjugate their life to paying your expenses, let alone keeping you company and entertaining you, think again. So the best gift you can give your kid is not that 17th loan that they've asked for. It's to say no, do a different route this time, and I will do my own investing so that I don't come back to you in my older years. That's the best gift we can give our kid, not giving them yet another gift of incidental money today. Wow. Guilty as charged. (laughs) my baby 25 and I'm thinking oh my gosh Deb just say no just say no and then the mom kicks in saying yeah but what are the consequences of saying no I'm thinking oh shoot I need to remember that turn the mirror turn the mirror on me Um, okay here's one last thing I'm going to say here's one last thing I'm going to say until and this is particular to women until our no is taken seriously our yes is meaningless yeah say that again we got to say that no because if we just yes 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 we are an easy target and the first time we say no and someone receives that and it lands on them these two letters no have come from this woman's mouth and she means it and she stands in her power saying no her future yeses are so much more powerful to her, to her, first and foremost, and to all those she impacts. It's setting boundaries and sticking with them. That's exactly what it is. And that's very difficult to learn if you've just been a generous giver, believe me. It's a lesson we need 
to learn. Yes, and let's, I'll, I'll coach us in it. I'm not perfect in it, and I get reminded by my friends because I'm a very much an overgiver. I have been kind of conditioned to overgiving. It's that Christian fundamentalism thing. My dad would give the shirt off his back, and he did. I get it. I get it. Yeah. It's, these are these are challenging times. These are strug, struggles that we all want to recognize. But I want to be as conscious, Debbie, as we can as women. And so often, it, as human beings, our subconscious rules us. And I want to bring all of this angst and have these conversations. And I applaud you for this venue. Have these conversations. So when one woman talks to 63 other people in the listening audience, a light bulb goes, oh, 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 yeah, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. And there is the, uh, there's the oxytocin release. When yeah. women are stressed and people tend to feel stressed about money, I try to abate that and eliminate that through my use of humor. And, and, and when this oxytocin is released in groups of women, physiologically women, not men, because their hormones are, are different, when that oxytocin is released, it is completely all-encompassing, and it, gives, it washes over us with a sense of hope. And we want to move ourselves across Dr. Susan Jeffers' pain power continuum. And if you want more information on that, let me know, because she was my dear friend, she's dead now, uh, wrote the landmark New York Times bestseller, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. Um, how we hold fear is going to be the ticket to our moving from pain and victim to power and choice. Absolutely, absolutely. That's that's wonderful, and I mean, my head is just bobbing, and I and I'm hoping that that others that are on on the call will will feel that same way too. So, we're running through the time, Deborah. We're blasting through time, I'm and I'm sorry. so excited about I'm this sorry. conversation. No, it's been wonderful. Uh, how can people get a hold of you if they want to either be in your Facebook group, try to work with you, talk to you, email you? Go ahead and give us your your information. Okay, well, come to Facebook, Women Navigating, N-A-V-I-G-A-T-I-N-G, finances, plural, because we have a lot of them. Um, and then uh, the website, womennavigatingfinances.com, and there's some opportunities to sign up and see a couple videos. Um, and then my email is team, T-E-A-M, at womennavigatingfinances.com. Uh, That's an email. And the phone is 973-AREA. 706-8924. Again, 973-AREA, 706-8924. So let me hear from you. Um, you know, and engage with me. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm out there. So, um, you know, don't make yourself scarce. Uh, certainly do not feel your financial pain alone. Do not. Any longer. Any longer. Put your line in the sand today. You are going to share with trusted professionals who have your back, women. And I'll have your back. Well, I certainly appreciate that. Now, we're going to actually open this up. We have a few people on that would let, might want to ask a question. It's interesting. I, we've, everybody's been so quiet. I didn't even realize it didn't mute anybody. So um, question and answers are here open. Girls that, that are on, if you'd like to ask Deborah a question, just go ahead and come on on and ask the question. I see a few here. I love Peggy. Peggy's always here, and she'll, she'll ask a question. Debbie's here. Do um, you guys have any questions for Miss Deborah? Speak up. I have to unmute myself first. Oh, yeah, unmute yourself. <laughs> I didn't mute you. Hi, Peg. Hi. 
Oh, goodness. You know, this is always something that interests me. Um, you know, and I, and I am a member now of Deborah's group, so very thankful for that and very excited to see what I'm going to learn because, you know, it's, I don't know what I don't know. And, you know, after how many years of, you know, doing all the finances and things and just trying to get it right and preparing, you know, for retirement now, which way do we go? You know, especially if, you know, we don't have a savings account, we don't have an IRA account, you know, we just Mm -hmm. have never felt we've been able to save enough for anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, where do we start, you know, when you're 60 something well um we start with um and i and i have in my group um and when people you know join the group as as uh, members uh, we'll have another launch at the end of september um when people join they have access to my course called truths about money and and that's a whole bevy of uh, tips and tools and so forth yet you want to deal with peggy the insurance first and you want to manage your risks first so the first thing you have to do because the inevitability of time you have no idea i mean i say 99 percent of the people in the obituaries didn't plan on being there yesterday so i also put a, a video out to say to everybody buy a term life insurance policy now for a million dollars, just go out and buy a million-dollar term life insurance policy, unless there's nobody that's going to be impacted upon uh, uh, with your death. And you don't need it in a year and a half, two years, and COVID passes and you escaped it, drop it. But the point is, uh, the risks really need to be handled first, especially the large ones, so liability. If you have a need for life insurance, you've got to buy life insurance and so forth. So liability risks first and life insurance risks first. And then you start with a mindset, and we're going to talk, talk and share mindset tools, because I said at the out, top of the hour, behavioral finance is where it's at. Peter Lynch, the most famous uh, you know, money manager of Magellan Fund for decades, and, and, and Warren Buffett, both say, it's your stomach, not your head, that will keep you in wealthy situ- in your wealth and build your wealth. You've got to have enough stomach to follow the plan you put down. And, and we as women can understand that. We follow recipes all the time. You mix up a chocolate cake, you put it in the oven for 40, 45 minutes. And if you open the oven at 10 minutes and pull that cake out, it's not going to turn out well. We know enough. The recipe says 45 minutes, so keep your hands off of it for 45 minutes. So if you're going to invest in the stock market, keep your hands off of it for seven years. Don't be prompted by the pundits on television, veins popping, the stock market is crashing, the stock market is crashing. And the clear intonation is you shouldn't just sit there. You should do something. And you're sitting there thinking, well, what should I do? I think I should sell because I'm afraid it's going to go lower. And you pull the cake recipe, cake pan out of the oven at seven minutes. And frankly, the cake we can remake and redo. But when we lose money with these kind of precipitous actions, that's when we get set back and we get deeper and fall into deeper and deeper holes. I have never met in 42 years a situation that was hopeless. I have never met a situation where people couldn't lift themselves up, dust themselves off, and with enough encouragement from themselves and perhaps from me on the outside or anyone else that's supportive to go ahead and formulate strategies that will start to build confidence. Because if we can eliminate our impulse spending in favor of 
our sleeping better because now our retirement is more funded, then we will uh, obviate a lot of the quick Amazon purchases or I'll just run out to get a new outfit and we come back with $400 worth of stuff. The fact is we often do that to assuage other things that are going on, like there's been a lot of stress lately. And so people do things to relieve the stress. They overeat, they overdrink, they overmedicate, they overdrug, they overspend. And my point is we can do that, uh, we would do that less if we have an alternative. So if you have an alternative and you put it as a picture, you draw a picture or you have a picture cut out of something you want to get towards, then you look at that every time you're tempted to do a little tiny $40 or $140 or $250 spend. Yeah, it's only $140 that time, and I can see some of you rolling your eyes. But here's the thing. It's that issuance of no in favor of my bigger yes. So we got to get out what is our why. And if our why is building something more secure for us to fall back on in our future years, we've got to be as smart as squirrels who, who pouch, you know, they, they fill their little pouches with nuts in the end of the summer because they know it could be winter and they couldn't find nuts because of the snow. And if we can't cut back our spending, to be less than our income and put few nuts away for the future, then I don't know. Well, let's have a conversation. What's stopping you from doing that? So mostly when we knock things down into common sense kinds of practical uh, patterns and actions, some of which is saying no in favor of saying yes to something we really want, it brings a congruity, Peggy, that I don't know how to describe other than it just kind of washes through your soul and takes out all of the sludge and just 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 reshifts you towards a different trajectory. I hope that is true for you. And if it's not true for you, somebody call me. Go ahead. Next. Oh, that was marvelous. And and I love the <laughs> you know, be as smart as a squirrel because I think all of us sitting here, you know, at home not getting out, Amazon has become our best friend. <laughs> you know? You like it, you love it, you buy it, it's delivered at, you know, tomorrow morning. It's an instant gratification, and that will not, you know, in 15, 20 years when we hope to still be alive and retire, you know, that $10 or $20 pot that you just bought outside is not going to pay your bills. So. Very because if we take away from our nest egg, it's not going to compound as much. And compounding is the eighth wonder of the world. Einstein said it. Look it up. It's a beautiful thing. So it, it, we're taking away principle, and the principle is a loss, is a big enough loss, but it's the ability of that principle to make that chicken to lay eggs. And, but and you so that's start. why we have to be conscious of it. Yeah. Exactly, and you have to start. I mean, you have to put that first foot forward. Like a lot of the women that I, that I work with that have lost a lot of money mm-hmm. haven't taken that first step yet, and they need to have the trust that they can do it. And that's what I love about your group is that together you can do it. And you take bet. one one step at a time, like pay one dollar at a time. You just you know mm-hmm. get your life insurance. I I actually do have those million dollar life life insurance policies, and I'm wondering do I really need them? Uh, but I'm glad you said that because now I don't feel so bad about having it. Um, mm-hmm. But it's been a phenomenal. I I can't believe the hour's already gone by. It's been a phenomenal hour. And Deborah, thank you so much for all this great information. I'm really grateful that you were my guest today, and and that everybody was here. And we'll stay on after we step the uh, turn off the recording so that if somebody has another question, we'll, if you have time, we'll certainly entertain it. But get a hold of Deborah at womennavigatingfinances.com 
and go to her uh, to the Facebook page. We thank you, thank you, uh, I do, from the bottom of my heart, um, and hopefully from the bottom of my wallet as we move forward um, into into a, a great retirement. Thank you so much for the super information, and um, thank you everybody for listening to Stand Up and Speak Up. We are dedicated to encouraging you to remove the mask of embarrassment and to being your best self. If you or any of you know someone who's been a victim to fraud or scam, report it to anyscam.com or ic3.gov. Remember to join my Facebook group, Stand Up and Speak Up, for special information and replays. Go to my website, The Woman Behind the Smile, for some incredible blogs and replay of this show. And be sure to join us each Thursday at 9 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time for another edition of Stand Up and Speak Up. This episode has been sponsored by BenfoComplete.com, a vitamin supplement company that supports happy and healthy hands and feet for those with neuropathy. If you go to BenfoComplete.com and use the discount code STANDUP, you'll get a 5% discount on your whole order. Again, thanks everybody for being with us today. Have a great week. And Deborah L. Morrison, a great appreciation to you. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you. Thanks, Debbie.